coffee isn't just a drink, it's who you are. We are Little Green Hive, and we're here to serve that perfect cup of coffee made just for you. We're women-owned and locally sourced. Our mission is to provide the best product for our customers, as well as strengthen our community. From fair trade coffees and teas, to breakfast, lunch, and smoothies, we have everything you need to start your day off right. And now serving our spring drinks. Come visit us in downtown Roanoke, Grandin Village, and Daleville Town Center, Little Green Hive, because coffee is personal. Hey, it's Leanna. Before we get to the episode, we want to take a second to thank you for listening. The fact that you chose this episode out of the millions of podcast episodes that are out there, that's pretty cool. We'd love it if you left us a review, subscribed, shared us with a friend. And if there's something you want to see us talk about on Hometown Stories, just let us know. Send an email to hometownstories at wdbj7.com. Okay, now let's settle in for today's episode. In 2020, a Virginia man bought a house to host family gatherings in his hometown of Pennsylvania County. It's a home he drove by a thousand times. It's a home that houses a thousand secrets. I said, oh my God, do you know what you just did? The Miller family had heard rumors about Sharswood's past, but had no idea they'd found themselves right at the intersection of history and fate. When I started doing this research for them, I had no idea that it was gonna place them there. In this episode of Hometown Stories, WDBJ7's Michaela Shelton explains how the Miller family unknowingly reclaimed the land once home to their enslaved ancestors. I don't want it to be a place where you feel like I drive up and I just can't go there. You can go there, you can come to Charleswood. That's what I want. What was it like to tell the story? It was amazing. I'm so fortunate I got to be able to tell it. This is my colleague, Michaela Shelton, who reports from the south side of Virginia, which also happens to be where she calls home. Um, You know, growing up in the area, it was just so special to me and close to home. um, Because I think when you grow up in a small town like that, it's easy to, you know, brush over history because you look at bigger cities like Danville or Appomattox, they have, you know, a lot of history to do with the Civil War. But when you look at smaller towns like Gretna, sometimes it's easy to uh, forget the history or not even know about it. So I was very excited to jump into this um, and and find out more about it and talk to them. Um, I actually went to high school with their cousins. So it was it was just really cool to be able to put this together and and know that it is such a big story. You know, it was on uh, 60 Minutes and the Washington Post covered it. So, you know, I, re- I really wanted to dig deeper as well and, and get an update to the story, too. So it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Being that you're from the area, I was going to ask you if you if you knew them at all or and or if you had ever driven past that house and not known what it was. Right. Yeah. I didn't know them, but I do know Miller's. I went to high school with, you know, their uh, cousins who were my age and cause they have a huge family. Um, and so I knew 
part of the family, but I don't know if I ever drove past the house. I probably did during my years growing up. Um, I know that my family members have. I think if you've lived in Gretna or in the area, um, you've definitely noticed the house before. It's It sticks out. It's different. It's gothic. It's huge. <laughs> um, it was uh, an architect from Italy uh, did it, who's known well-known for his work. I can't remember his name, but um, I know that, you know, it definitely stands out. So I know my grandpa was talking to me, you know, when I first mentioned it to him, he was like, oh yeah, I've driven past that house plenty of times going hunting, you know. So it's well known in the area for sure. <laughs> um, so give us a little bit of background. I know that, like, as you mentioned, the story has gotten a little bit of um, attention over the last year or so, but just kind of give us background as to how this family came into possession of this house and how they discovered that they had a connection to it that they didn't know about. Mm -hmm. Right. So Frederick Miller, um, he was looking for a home for his family just to host events, family reunions, uh, because their family is so big. And he lives in Virginia Beach, but the majority of his family is still here in the Gretna area, Danville, Pennsylvania County. And so he reached out to his sister, Karen Dixon Rexroth, and was like, hey, find me a house. <laughs> um, and so she started looking around and wasn't really having much luck. But one day she saw this big old house is what she called it um, on Riceville Road in Gretna. We often pass the house probably several times out one day. So just think of how many millions of times we passed this property and never really actually wondered what it was. We just knew it was a big old house. There was a for sale sign in the yard and she was like, oh, wow, you know, this this might be the one. This is perfect. She said she was just driving by um, and saw it. So she contacted the realtor and they said that the owner was going to be taking bids uh, within the next few days. So they put in a bid and turned out that someone outbid them and the owner chose them. So that was that. They didn't end up getting the house at first. And then she said not even just two days later, the realtor called and said, hey, this offer fell through. Um, you know, would you want to put in another bit? So she was like, oh, let me reach out to my brother and see. And he was like, no, we're not doing that. You know, we lost it the last time. There's no point. She's not going to accept it. And then something made him change his mind and he put in a bid and they ended up getting it that time around. There are so many things in this story that just kind of worked out like that. And, you know, it really shows that this was meant to be. Um, you know, Karen was saying that there's no way it wasn't meant to be like, this is her purpose now. Um, and so, but that was before they found out any of the history. I said, oh my God, do you know what you just did? I knew the history of the house, but I didn't have facts. Their cousin, Dexter Miller, he had heard some things about it uh, being called a plantation. Um, and, you know, he was excited about it because he knew there was some kind of history there, but they didn't know, you know, the facts. They didn't know the exact history behind it. 
And so they ended up reaching out to a local historian, Carice Luckbrimmer. She started doing research um, and ended up finding that finding out that Millers lived there previously. And so she went digging at the Pennsylvania County Courthouse and she found a slave contract, a labor contract, which was formed after emancipation, uh, basically saying that these are not slaves anymore, but they do want to stay on the property um, and, and work for, I think it was like one tenth of the crop that is yielded just so that their families can eat. They were by the enslavers after emancipation. And, you know, a lot of times the formerly enslaved, they just couldn't move on. You know, you've been here your whole life. A lot of people hadn't been outside, you know, off the lands of the plantation. And so it's like, you know, how am I going to feed my family? So a lot of them chose to stay on as sharecroppers. And that's where we have the labor contract um, between Nathaniel Crenshaw Miller and at least 10 of the people that he enslaved. And so they found David and Violet Miller were listed of those 10 slaves that were that belonged to Nathaniel Crenshaw Miller. And so they ended up tracing it back. And David and Violet were their great grandparents, great, great grandparents. And when I started doing this research for them, I had no idea that it was going to place them there. Carice Luckbrimmer, the historian, always likes to have two pieces of documentation to verify everything. And so she ended up going to UNC to their special collections to find the Virginia Slave Birth Index, which ran from 1853 to 1866. And she knew that that was after David and Violet's time, but she thought maybe she could find their children's names. Um, and a lot of the times they didn't even list the mother's name um, uh, because they just stuck to the man's name, you know. But luckily this one actually had the mother's name, Violet, listed beside her two children, Samuel and Charity Miller. And so then those were their great-grandparents. And then, you know, it just kept going. And, and so they realized, you know, they were related to the slaves that were there on the property in the 1800s. They were just all astounded. They never thought that this would happen. Even the historian said that this has never happened in her time of, of research. And not to say that it doesn't happen, because, I mean, this is real history, you know, but actually putting these pieces together is, is really spectacular. I mean, it just doesn't happen. Back then... They didn't really care much about labeling, you know, the slaves or any of that. I know Carice Luckbrimmer was saying that a lot of the times it was like you would document cattle or, you know, different uh, property that you own. I mean, so the, the way that they were able to find that was really something. <laughs> it really gives me goosebumps to think that they're now on that property that their mm -hmm. ancestors were in this time as the owners of that house and of that land. I'm sure this was an emotional journey for the family as well. Yes, yes, very. I know Dexter Miller, 
uh, the cousin that I spoke with as well said he just started crying when he first stepped onto the property because he realized he was now stepping where his ancestors stepped. Um, and then there's this huge tree in the back of the house that's he said has probably been there for way longer than any of this history. You know, so he was saying, you know, something that really stuck with me was that the tree has seen it all. The tree has seen their blood, sweat and tears. You know, he said how many of my ancestors were crying on this tree, were whipped on this tree, you know. So he just went and he stood by the tree and touched it and cried. And so, you know, I think it really was very emotional for the whole family. Words cannot express how I felt when I found out that my relatives actually was a part of this plantation. And, and I walked on the same grounds that my ancestor walked on. Tears began to roll. You feel like you're home at last. And then Mr. Miller, Frederick Miller, was saying that it was a roller coaster of emotions for him, you know, just, just finding out all of that about his ancestors. and But now I think they really want to turn it into something positive. You know, they want to educate people about the home. Um, they want to do tours there. They want to even host weddings there. So, you know, while it, it was sad at first, it's also, you know, a positive that they are now able to do the things that their ancestors were nowhere near doing. So I think it, it really shows that journey as well. Well, it means a lot to me because I think, and I know that I can do something different with it. I want it to be a place that's open, a welcoming kind of place. I don't want it to be a place where you feel like I drive up and I just can't go there. You can go there. You can come to Charleswood. And that's what I want. The name Charleswood, because I asked, I was curious, you know, where did, the name Shars would come from. And Mr. Miller said that he thinks it was probably from Charles Miller, which was Nathaniel Crenshaw Miller's nephew. And so they think that Sharswood is kind of, you know, a variation of his name a little bit. Um, and I also wondered, you know, were y'all related to those Millers or was that last name just given to the slaves? And Karen was saying that the last name, yes, was always given to slaves, but they don't know, you know, if there's any bloodline related back to the owners, because back then, you, you know, you never know what happened. Um, but they are planning to meet with their family in March in Mississippi. So that I'm looking forward to hearing about. Because, you know, they want to talk to them about, you know, the history of it and also maybe find out if they're related to them as well. So that'll be interesting. I'll have to definitely uh, do a follow up and see, you know, what comes of that. So they're really looking forward to meeting that side as well. And that's the descendants of Nathaniel Crenshaw Miller you're talking yes, about. Yes, exactly. Wow. So they yeah. were able to track them down as well. Yes, <laughs> Yep, they're in Mississippi. 
They also think that the Miller name, because, you know, there's two mills right up the road. I mean, within walking distance of the home, which they believe that the slaves worked at every single day. And they think that the Miller name probably came from them being millers from milling and working there. So I thought that was interesting as well. Now, did you go to the house as well? Did you interview them in the house? Yes, I did. And the house is, it's amazing. I mean, when you step into it, it's like stepping back in time 200 years because the furniture is just still there. The people that lived there before them, they had the house since I think the mid 1900s, probably. Um, They just left the furniture. They didn't bother taking it. And I mean, when you step in there, it's, it is, it's like you're stepping into a museum, really, because everything is, it's worn, but it's also, it's beautiful. It really is. Um, There's books in there that are so worn that are probably back from the 1800s. There's even the fireplace, the mantle has a hidden, uh, (laughs) hidden space where you can hide things. Like, it just reminded me of a movie. I mean, it's really... It's it's old, but it's also in amazing shape. It really is. So, And I think you said that one of the folks that you talk to believes that there are actually grave sites on the property, right? Yes. Yes. So um, Frederick Miller, he took me. Um, it's just a little ways up the road, but there is a grave site there that the slaves were buried. And he said that they can tell because all of the graves point east toward Africa. And there's also periwinkle planted around all of the graves. And that told them that, okay, slaves were buried here because, you know, they used periwinkle in Africa to show that this is a grave site. This is sacred. And so that's still just everywhere there. Um, But unfortunately, right now, you wouldn't notice if, you know, you were just walking through the woods. Unfortunately, it's just it's overgrown. And, you know, there's just there's no names on any of them. They're just tall stones, I would say I would call it. Everyone should be laid to rest with some kind of dignity. And for me, the way it is now, it's kind of like I think if you had an animal that passed on, you would probably put them to rest in a more dignified way. And that shouldn't be that way. So I want to do everything I can to make that better. He just really wants to, you know, clean it up and put markers there to show this is what this was. And they want to do the same thing for the slave quarters that are on the property as well. Um, There's just one left. They said there was about 10 on the property at one time. Um, but that they may have burned down, they may have just been, you know, demolished, but there is one right behind the house still standing. And so um, right now it's, it's pretty run down, but the fact that it's still there and in solid condition is, it's wonderful. I know Karen was saying that that one was probably built in the 1700s before the main house. Um, and so just to see that still standing is, it really shows the amount of work they put in and even the nails that are holding it together, you know, he showed me and they are handmade. I'm proud that, you know, 
I know that my people put in the work to, to have that built. Even though it was a, during the time of slavery and during slavery, there was often times of being abused or neglect. I know that they were strong people and within that, uh, that building still, still stands strong. And when you walk in there, you know, you, you see where the fireplace was. And um, he was telling me that that's where they would cook for the uh, enslavers. And because it was so close to the house, they could just take the food right out of there and take it in. And they had to go through the basement door. They weren't able to go through the front door, so they would just take it in in there. But they also, some of them lived in that uh, slave quarter. So it was just, it gave me chills to walk in there and, and see it still standing. I know that for Juneteenth this year, they're holding their second annual Juneteenth celebration there. And so they're inviting anyone to come. They're going to have lots of food and and music and everything. Last year, they said 1,500 people came. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I know. I know. It it was crazy. Yeah. They said 1,500 people came and they want to make it bigger this year. So, yeah. (laughs) It's crazy that something in such a small town can be so big. What strikes me is thinking about, and I wonder if they've mentioned this or if you've thought about this too, just kind of thinking about if only their ancestors knew that today, here we are in 2023, and their descendants are now the owners of this property. I mean, did they think about what it would be like from their perspective or kind of speculate on that at all, I guess? Yeah, I mean, they, they're just proud to be able to be here today. Um, I, I don't know if if their ancestors could have pictured it being like this today. You know, I, I wish I could go back and, and know what they were thinking and, and if they were hoping it would get better, I'm sure they were, but I'm, I'm sure that their ancestors are just so over the moon now, just knowing that you know, once they weren't even able to walk through the front door, but now their great, great grandchild owns the property. You know, it's it's just really, it's really amazing. It is. Stories is a production of WDBJ7 in Roanoke, Virginia. This episode was written and produced by me, Leanna Scacchetti, and edited by Ben Roquelmi. We'll see you next time. Hometown Stories is sponsored by Little Green Hive, because coffee is personal. Locations in downtown Roanoke, Daleville, and Grandin.